0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Thursday, September 24th, two days before game day. Thanks for joining us uh, to talk Carolina football today. 2020 season opens Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. SEC Network, Tennessee Volunteers come to town. Uh, I write this every year. Tennessee after Georgia and Clemson uh, is probably the third most important game on the schedule annually. Um, you know, Georgia, of course, being a border rival, and South Carolina, even before they got in the SEC, played Georgia frequently. Um, and then Clemson speaks for itself. Uh, but this Tennessee game is very, very important, especially during the SEC era. Gamecocks eight and seven in the last fifteen against the Vols. Uh, I think both schools could probably make a case for our record should be better, <laughs> but I think eight and seven's fitting considering how the series has gone uh, and how close it's been. Um, should be a heck of a ball game, uh, in my opinion. I think that when you look at these two teams. Uh, you know, they're, they're evenly matched when you look at the position groups, et cetera. Um, you know, I think there's a, a reason Tennessee is a three, three and a half point favorite on the road. Um, but I also think that, uh, you know, it's not like they're coming into Columbia with this overwhelming juggernaut of talent uh, that you know South Carolina will be lucky to play within a couple of touchdowns with uh, if that happens, obviously that's, that's disappointing. And, you know there are bigger fish to fry, so to speak, um, and uh, I think I think Carolina's going to play pretty well Saturday night. It's, it's a lot of unknown um, because of COVID nineteen, and you, you don't know who's going to be up or down for either team, and we won't know until Saturday. Um, so you got to preface everything you say about the game with that. Um, but I think if, if things work out, you know, and and the Gamecocks have their full allotment and. You know, Tennessee has their guys that it'll go right down to the wire. Um, so big discussion on the big spur yesterday. Uh, my partner, Tony Murrell, uh had a scoop piece today and, and was talking uh, to a source of his that just basically, you know, said that the wide receiving core uh, was bad. <laughs> and uh, I've been more optimistic uh, than I have been. and And that's what I've said. People have kind of taken that and run with it. And I think that, you know, kind of uh, as the world is polarizing, so is the world of Gamecock football, because there's some folks that no matter what piece of positivity comes out of anything, even if it appears to be positive and it's not necessarily glowing, um, they take that and run with it. Sunshine pumping. You know, they don't want to hear anything good about anything Will Muschamp's done because they, they want him gone. And, um, that's a fraction of the fan base. Another fraction of the fan base simply looks at the fact that they've got some converted quarterbacks and, you know, freshmen in the two deep, and that's all that matters, you know. That, you know, like in the history of college football, nothing like that's ever worked out, you know. There's never been a quarterback go to receiver that's, that's been serviceable, and, you know, oh, Jalen Brooks, who probably won't play Saturday, came from Wingate, so, you know, he's bad. You know, and then it's just stuff like that. That's just, you know, an automatic X. Uh, and then you got the folks that really want to believe that, that you know, less concerned equals, you know, a, a stable of receivers like LSU had last year. And that's not the case either. But they're, it's like Lou Holtz said. Things are never as good as they seem. Things are never as bad as they seem. And uh, with this receiving core, here's – Here's sort of the thing. There's been a lot of good plays in practice, uh, explosive plays, you know, with the receivers, tight ends, backs, whatever, from the offense, okay? And and that's really the bottom line. If you have two receivers that have multiple catches and that's it, but your tight ends are catching it and you're throwing it to your backs and, you know, you've got an offense that has a passing game that goes up and down, I mean, then then that's fine. I mean, that's, you know, there's always one more – one more than one way – uh, as they say, to the skin a cat. And um, as an animal lover, I kind of need to quit using that, skin a cat. But uh, <laughs> that's not good. Now, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. But that, that's that's the old saying. You know, there's more than one way to get it done. Um, you know, that said, and I'll take you through it, you know, Shai Smith is, is a good player. He's a proven SEC player. Uh, Xavier Leggett is I've mentioned this many times, you know, he's big and he's fast. And he, you know, needs to probably be more consistent catching the ball compared to last year and learn how to play a little bit. But, you know, the hope was, I mean, he's been running with the ones the whole camp, you know, that he'd be able to do that. in Joyner's making a transition, but you can use him in a lot of different ways. Um, and then the three freshmen, Rico Powers, Luke Doty, and Jakari Caldwell – our freshmen, but, you know, they've all got their skill sets, you know, powers is, you know, by all accounts, explosive. Um, they love him. They, they think he's a big time player in the future. Luke Doty. We've heard all about him. Uh, and then Caldwell really came on the last half of camp It gives them something they don't really have with a kind of big, tall target. And so, you know, and then you got Josh Van still sitting out there and, um, You know, so what – I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how many, you know, four receiver sets, three receiver sets they're going to go with. I mean, I think that there's some double tight end stuff they'll get into with Nick Muse and Kevion Mullins. And, you know, they're going to play with a fullback some this year. It's it's a different kind of deal, you know, formationally uh, than they've had probably since Steve Spurrier. I mean, it's – you know, Spurrier used a lot of these multiple double tight end things later in his career – Uh, at South Carolina when you had, you know, Roy Anderson, Jarrell Adams on the field at the same time, things like that. So, you know, we'll we'll see kind of what happens Saturday night. But I did want to address it. I I don't think it's that, like, Tony and I have, you know, drastically, dramatically competing info. I mean, I I just, you know, based on the intel I have, I, I haven't heard they were awful or terrible or bad. Uh, I've, I've only heard that less worried about that than than what, what was the concern going in. Because, look, going in, you know, with the exception of 2016, you know, you you really look around and and it's like, who's going to play? Um, and you think about it and you go into 2016, uh, Debo's there, but at the time Debo hadn't played a whole lot and he was still hurt and hampered. And then you got Brian Edwards and Chavis Dawkins. And that's it. Uh, Ranrique Davis played a little early in that year and looked really good. But but that was it. And those guys were all freshmen in 2016. You had to kind of rely on Hayden Hurst and, and all that. And then once they fixed the quarterback situation, that offense against teams that they weren't completely overwhelmed by because of a porous offensive line, you know, they moved the ball. You know, when Jake took over, if you think about it, they – yeah, you know, he moved it against UMass, obviously, moved it against Tennessee, moved it against Missouri, moved it against Western Carolina, thankfully, because Western Carolina scored 31 points. And then in the bowl game against South Florida, they moved it against them. So, you know, I, there were a lot of question marks then, too. Now, the, the, is there a Debo? I, I, I can't say that. You can't say that with a straight face. Um, maybe. I mean, I, there's nobody that's – you know, could Xavier Leggett be a bigger receiver with a lot of speed that gets things done? Yeah, but, I, you know, Debo sort of showed it right away. I mean, in 2015 as a redshirt freshman against Clemson, once he was healthy, I mean, you saw it. Uh, and, I, and I think in that position, it, it you know, there are guys that get better, but then there's guys that are obvious. Now, Xavier Leggett, I'll put him in a different category because he, too, is a converted quarterback from high school. And – I don't know how much, you know, with Brian McClendon trying to fix the dumpster fire of the offense last year that they really sat there and said, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to do, you know, we need you to do like Alshon Jeffrey did when he was a freshman. and Stay after run routes, you know, get better, work on that, throw throw tennis balls at you so you can catch, you know, get the the catch down and all that good stuff. Um, But I can't say there's a Debo Samuel on the – I can't say there's a Brian Edwards on the roster. Um, but I do know that, you know, you look at these guys and, and it's not, I was concerned heading into the season. They just weren't going to have any speed. You know, you're going to trot out shy Smith and the rest of the guys are just kind of lumbering and that'll get you beat quick. I mean, because guys that are more big than fast can't get off the line and they can't, they, you know, they can't separate and they're a really good defensive backs of the league. You know, these guys athletically you know, could move around a little bit. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see kind of what happens Saturday night with the receivers. I, I'll admit that was, uh, I did not expect that information, you know, to be that dramatic, but that's the opinion of, of, of one person. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of how it all plays out, but, uh, and I'm not trying to back off anything I've said about the receiving core here. Uh, I do think they have a good ceiling, um, I I think that you know when you start Colin Hill, you know there's two two things that come to mind. If the receivers are that bad, then you know maybe going back, you should have started Luke Doty. So so because you got to generate offense, you know (laughs) that's the bottom line. You know you got to move the ball. On the other side of it, I think maybe Colin Hill, as a guy that can run this complete system, is able to better, you know, hit the tight ends and and the backs and, you know, spread it around a little bit more. Um, And so maybe that's why they went with him because that can mask deficiencies at receiver as well. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, always go four and five wide. Um, Good offense is good offense. And quite frankly, you know, a lot of teams – you know, don't spread it as much anymore uh, throughout all levels of football. You know, the game always evolves. And, and you go from – kind of bounce from one thing to another. And, and you look at some of the NFL offenses out there that are really good. Um, and, boy, they, they chunk it around to everybody. I mean, it, it's not uh, a situation where they just have sort of one – you know, go five wide and hit it. It's not the air raid. So, you know, that's my take on the receivers and, and that sort of – I don't want to say it's a controversy, but the conflicting information. I mean, you guys know that Tony and I both are pretty credible when it comes to things. We don't pass along things that uh, we don't believe to be true. And um, I don't necessarily believe that saying I am less concerned than I was uh, and saying there's a ceiling there uh, completely conflicts with, you know, this receiving core may not be very good. Uh, I, I don't know that that con- that information conflicts. I think it's a different end of the spectrum. But I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, Tony's sitting there going, they're going to be bad, and I'm sitting there going, they're going to be good. I'm just saying I'm less concerned than I was in the beginning of camp because, honestly, I hadn't – you know, it was like 2016. I, I had no idea who was going to play receiver. <laughs> you know, shy Smith was the one guy, and then I was like, well, maybe, maybe. maybe. It's like, yes, maybe, 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 maybe. Um, and going into a season like that's, that's, that's tough. Um, and you know, Brian McClendon didn't recruit very well. He, uh, he had some luck with some guys that, that had injury issues. Uh, I've never been all that high on the Chad Terrells of the world, but Chad's had issues. You know, he, he never, I mean, they beat Oregon on him, um, he had really good film in high school, but, you know, hadn't been able to shake the injuries. Renriquez Davis, who opted out. Um, Lord have mercy with, with his injury situation. Or Trey Smith, same thing. You know, caught 30 balls as a freshman and, and injured, you know. So there, there are guys that, you know, you know, Taequann Johnson obviously was a guy that wasn't going to play and needed a fresh start somewhere. Um, and, and then you got Josh Van. I mean, who wouldn't have taken him? Um, and he just hasn't played fast. And, and he, you know, has dropped to sixth, seventh on the depth chart. And uh, I, I've, I've said I thought that was a positive because if Van hasn't gotten any better, um, you know, and just sort of stayed the same, he was the number three guy last year, you know, he and Chavis Dawkins. And so the fact that four guys, five guys, if you count Brooks, have passed him, Means those guys are probably better, you know, and 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 so there's more options. So you know we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, it, it's a situation where you know something like this comes out a couple of days before the game. Obviously, it dampens people's spirits a little bit, but I, I don't think my spirits are dampened. I think that you know it's just reality of you know what what's been going on at practice, et cetera, et cetera. And so we'll see, we'll see kind of what happens. Uh, in terms of what happens with the receivers Saturday night. You know, we <laughs> we can only wait and see. Um, you know, a lot of talk about Colin Hill, too. You know, there, there's people, and I think these people fall into different categories. You know, just, you know, you have the same guys that don't like anything Buschamp does, and that's fine. I, I get it. I mean, they went four and eight last year. Uh, like I said, it wasn't a very popular hire to begin with. Uh, I don't know that anybody would have been following Steve Spurrier, but, you know, w- when you have a track record at a division school, you know, and it wasn't so great, you know, that's that's a little bit more, you know, gutsy, I think. That's why I always say it was a gutsy hire by Ray Tanner, not an easy one. They go in and hiring somebody that's, you know, hasn't lost a game. Um, you know, that, that's just, you know, Hasn't you know? Hasn't won a game, but hasn't lost a game. Like an assistant from somewhere, something like that. And, and so you think about it, and um, you know, I, I get it. There wasn't going to be this. And I've said this. I said this throughout the off season. That, you know, people talk about well, then need, he needs five years because the roster was so bad. Yeah, but you need to get better and better and better as you go on. You know, sometimes uh, it is true that in your fourth and fifth year. Um, if you inherit a bunch of good players from the other other guy uh and i'm talking about a bunch and it's not like he didn't inherit any good players there's there's a list of them uh from Steve Spurrier but you know your roster's good enough because the other guy if it's a five year cycle got fired uh but he'd recruited well and so then those guys come of age and then you win i uh, i think i think something similar happened to Lou Holtz uh in terms of that particular theory Uh, where, you know, Brad Scott did leave a bunch of good players. They had the lost year of 99 where half the team got hurt. But then a lot of Brad Scott's players in 2000 and 2001 were, you know, key parts of that success. You know, Holtz recruited some guys and blended them in, like your Derek Watsons and Andrew Penix of the world and, you know, Corey Alexander and all that. But, you know, that that, um, fourth and fifth year under Holtz, there was a dip an obvious dip. Um, and, and so that happens, I think, when you're in the the f- every five-year cycle. But, but South Carolina's not in the every five-year cycle right now. Um, the the roster uh, in 2016 that, that scratched out six wins in a bowl trip was significantly worse overall than the roster they have now. Um, and, and so I get it. I mean, and, and they went four and eight last year. You know, I, I think that team last year – you know, with a different play caller and a little bit better play at quarterback, you know, probably would would beat the tar out of that 2016 team. Maybe 2016 2016 team was, you know, tough, gritty, but um, you know, so so I don't think the four the year four and five dip applies. Uh, I think last year, you know, you you, you want to keep moving forward. Recruiting seems to be going well. You retool the staff you know, keep going. Steve Spurrier retooled his staff between year four and five, and it paid off big down the road. Um, yeah, just keep on rolling. That's fine. But, you know, four and eight last year was not a function of what Steve Spurrier left on the roster. Uh, it was – you got to pin that on Will Muschamp. So, so, I say all that to say I understand, you know, Colin Hill gets named the starting quarterback. People are like, oh, my God. You know, because it's a situation where, you know, Ryan Halinski came in, a much-ballyhooed recruit, uh, really good prospect, played last year, you know, had some moments, and and you kind of, you know, hitch your wagons to that and say, okay, well, you got to go get Ryan Helensky, a good offensive coordinator, and away we go. And then in comes Colin Hill and, you know, Mountain West, his, his record as a starting quarterback is not stellar. Um, but he really hadn't, you know, when you look at his first and his last year in Fort Collins, he really played well, uh, the year he took over kind of mid season, you know, seven touchdowns, seven picks, you know, wasn't really on, but you look at the film, the first year versus the, uh, the middle of the year. And then of the last year it's significantly different, you know, in terms of his performance, the way the ball's coming out of his hands, his decision-making and all that. Uh, At Colorado State, but he didn't win a ton of games. So, obviously, you you know, for those of you that want to hang the record of the starting quarterback on the quarterback at all times, because you did it to Jake Bentley when he was here, um, you know, that's fine. I understand completely the skepticism there. Um, From my standpoint, I I think Colin Hill is a talented quarterback. Uh, I think he's got – arm talent. Um I, I think that people have tried to interpret everything about him. Yeah. You know, oh, he dinks and dunks. He's like Chris Smelly. No. I mean, it's obvious. You mean look at look at look at his deep ball. <laughs> I mean, you know, Colorado State threw it down the field. I mean, look, look at go look at the Colorado, Colorado State highlights from last year and watch the the touchdown pass he threw in the right corner of the end zone. And then how he dropped it in there, you know. Um, if I have a concern about him in terms of throwing the ball, it's that he tries to fit it into tight spaces, um, sometimes. And, and we know that, you know, Alante Taylor and Bryce Thompson, uh, from Tennessee and uh, Jalen McCullough and all those guys in the volunteer secondary, they're just probably a tad quicker and more athletic than the guys in the Mountain West. I mean, that's just fact. And so, if anything, I kind of I get concerned if you know from watching him that he trusts his arm too much. But you actually want that. He's not a dinker and dunker. Um, I just uh, you know I don't know where some of this stuff comes from, but uh, I I, I'll tell you this: I understand it. Uh, I understand it. You know, so so that's the Colin Hill thing. You got the must champ crowd. You got the the anti Mountain West crowd. And then you got a crowd that rightfully so is just a big fan of Ryan Holinsky's, you know, they, they're a fan of who he is and what he stands for. And, and, and you know, I, I am too. I, I think Ryan Holinsky's a, a human being that, you know, we all can admire and look up to and, 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 and empathize with because he's been through a lot in his life. Uh, and, you know, he came all the way across the country and picked South Carolina because he believed in the program. And so you pull for a guy like that. There's no question about it. And, and so I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I get that too, that, hey, man, you know, I'm a big Polinsky fan. So then it becomes, you know, if you say anything positive about Colin Hill, you're sunshine pumping because, you know, he's going to be the, you know, least likely quarterback to succeed since Kevin Sides uh, back in the 90s or Tommy Beecher in 2008. And, you know, with the Tommy Beecher comparisons, Tommy Beecher was a about a six foot, six one quarterback that had a good arm that played really well in practice, um, very little game experience. And Spurrier got him ready to start, and he was not happy with Chris Smalley. Um, And then it was just a, a bad offensive line that year. I think that was the last year before Wolford came in and um, NC State just dominated uh, that that O-line and Carolina had to play really good on defense and then Smelly comes in and they end up winning 34-0 and we never hear from Beecher again because he got he got rocked that game uh, this is a different guy you know this isn't a guy that has never played uh, this is a six foot four and a half 215 220 pound quarterback that you know, if it hadn't been for some ACL tears, you know, could have really, you know, he probably would have been at least on a practice squad in the NFL right now. Because uh, had he continued his pace last year without getting hurt, um, you know, they were looking at him, and 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 you know, he would he would have gone just because, uh, uh, you know, why not? <laughs> you know, you made it through the year, that's fine. And I think the same thing here, and so. You know, in response to some of these questions about Colin Hill in terms of, you know, can, can he be at South Carolina three years? And he actually can because they're – you know, they can get a medical redshirt for him and and then everybody redshirts this year. You know, he, 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 if he wanted to, he could, you know, play for seven years of college football. But here's the bottom line. I, I don't – either way, you know, if he makes it through this season injury-free as the starter – And plays well, uh, I don't think even if he's not projected to be drafted, I think he's gone because you got to go chase that. Um, And, you know, in terms of being an NFL guy, he he has the the physical ability to do it. You know, they like those taller quarterbacks. They like guys with arm talent like he's got. They like guys that make good decisions like he's got. It, It makes sense when you evaluate him individually and don't get caught up in the ancillary stuff like where he played and what his record was and all that good stuff um, and that's all I meant I mean I'm not projecting him I'm not saying he's you know a lot, rock solid NFL talent I was simply responding to the questions about could he be there for three years and I was like well you know I doubt it because you know if he makes it through this year I think he's just going to go ahead and I would too you know if I'd have had three ACLs you know no no, no time like the present. So that's all I was saying about that. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that uh, gets a little bit misconstrued and misunderstood out there. Um, so I want to make sure I clarified that. I know I've talked about Colin Hill and, you know, potentially going to the NFL and stuff on the podcast as well as the site. But that's what I mean by that, it, you know, is that I do not believe he will be the starting quarterback at South Carolina three years uh, because – you know, if he doesn't get it done this season, he's going to get you know Holinsky or Doty will be playing. Um, and, and at that point, if you got a graduate degree, I'd, you know you probably move on. Um, and then that's, that's number one. Then number two, if he does make it, um, I think he's going to go ahead and go, even if he's not you know projected to be that high. I mean, have tells his players if you're not a first rounder, you need to come back, but. This is a special situation. It's sort of like, you know, Hayden Hurst, who was drafted in the first round, who's a little older. Or Kyle Markway last year, who wasn't drafted, who had another year. You know, he's older and he's had some um, some knee injuries and things like that. So, you know, that's the only thing about Colin Hill in the NFL. I, I do think that if Colin Hill stays healthy, he's going to have a heck of a year. I think that, um, you know, as long as we don't go out there and see a bunch of drops by receivers and, and stuff like that – all that and the line has to protect him obviously which is a little scary because you know in the sec you're you're never going to bat a thousand in protection um but he'll also you know one of the big things with holinsky last year he struggled with was getting the gamecocks in the right protection um and colin hills can you know was good at doing that so We'll see. All right, so a key to the game Saturday night is going to be, and, and, and we could talk about receivers and quarterbacks all day long, but if South Carolina can't run the football, they're not going to have a good offense this year, and that would be the case if they had a talented receiving core and, uh, you know, whoever else was starting a quarterback. You know, that's been the problem. It's been uh, an issue with, you know, running backs. That that room has been oft injured They're struggling with it now uh, because Lloyd's obviously out with an ACL and White's had a hamstring, and and those are probably your most talented guys. Um, Maybe Rashad Amos ends up being, you know, the the other two are sort of, you know, specialty backs. Uh, I think Fennel's really good at catching out on the backfield and, you know, kind of a bigger guy that can make some things happen. And then, you know, Harris is a bowling ball. Uh, I like them better as change of pace guys. I think they're both good, but, you know, when you're talking about somebody to kind of carry the load, um, you know, or or to make that big explosive play, you know, I I like White and Lloyd better and then maybe Amos down the road. Um, You know, the offensive line should be really good. And so if they can open holes, I think that when when you look at, you know, the, the little bit of tape we have on Fenwick and Harris running the ball, when, when, the, line, when the hole's there, they can hit it. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, that, that, that's pretty good. But th- th- this has been an issue for a long time as far as being able to run it consistently. You, you, you just – and it's sad because I think we're all learning now. Rico Dowdle, when, his, when he was healthy, was a pretty good player. You know, Tyson Williams, uh, when his head was in the game and he was healthy, was a pretty good player. You know, Tavian Feaster, obviously, pretty good player um, last year, uh, you know. And then A.J. Turner and Mon Denson, who were probably the two most consistent, they, too, helped Carolina win games. I mean, you know, that's uh, – the story of this room during the Champ era has been injuries. It remains injuries uh, to this day. And so, uh, well, garbage day where I lived. I had to pause the recording there because – you guessed it, the dog, Red, um, doesn't like the garbage truck too much. We, we set up a little barrier in front of the window so he can't really see outside, but he hears it. Uh, and so he was uh, raising a little cane over there at the window. So, I put it on there. So, so, anyway, hopefully the running backs get healthy. And the bottom line with the offense is they're not going to go very far regardless of how good the receivers or Colin Hill is if they can't run the football. And I've said that since the end of last year. I think that's why you hire Mike Bobo is to get the run game going. I think it's highly unfortunate that Marshawn Lloyd got hurt. Um, but, you know, that happens. Uh, and I think it's it's sort of unfortunate that White, even though I think White's going to probably play some Saturday, has had the hamstring that slowed him because, you know, contacts I've spoken with, think that White can step up and be the guy talent-wise. Uh, he's got a lot of, you know, it factor. To him, but that's all in practice. Uh, Carolina's going to play with all black uniforms tomorrow night. Uh, If you remember the 2016 win over the Vols, and I think they in 2018 too. I don't remember 2018. What exactly they had on, but uh, they uh, they busted out the all blacks. So uh, you know that's a that's a good uniform combo. I like those. I like the all black uniforms. I think uh, you know I, I. people ask me all the time and I'm, I'm not a big uniform debater, I, you know, I, it's not a, you know, super important thing to me. I I agree completely that, you know, let the players decide that kind of helps recruiting. I, I do wish, you know, <laughs> when you got the garnet jerseys and the black helmets and the, and the black pants, you, you know, you look like Texas tech a little bit. So I wish maybe there's some little more creative designs, you know, since Carolina's got to be with Under Armour, maybe they should, you know, work together to make, make it a little more creative. But I, I think the all Blacks sharp, um, I would rather see Carolina, you know, have instead of, you know, a different combination every week, a primary that they, you know, kind of a go-to for most home games and then bust out some special ones every now and then. But, you know, I, I, I really don't care that strongly about it. And we had a big – discussion a big Q&A about uniforms on the big spur yesterday so I but all black on um on uh Saturday night and hats off to Justin King and his group for making a a pretty good battle armor video um all that uh in addition to running the football South Carolina's defense has to play well and I said that all offseason um uh, I think when you get into preseason and camp you're, you're like when you're covering it and analyzing it, you're identifying different spots that people want to hear about, i.e. the, the uh, wide receivers, <laughs> um, you know, the question mark spots. But, you know, uh, the bottom line is, is, is that, you know, this team this year, and I've said it before, they need to be like the 2000 Gamecocks under Lou Holtz. You know, get enough offense, uh, but be really, really salty on defense. And that's how you're going to win games this year. Um, so the defense has to play well as well. You know, def- play defense and run the ball. And if you remember that whole team could run the ball with Watson and Pinnock and, you know, whoever else they had back there. So I, uh, and Brewer, you know, so I, I tend to believe that, you know, that th- those are the big keys to the season. It's not Colin Hill or the wide receiving core or whatever. Um, it's, uh, it's running the ball and defense, you know, Simple as that, uh, and I think that uh, you know the defense really has a chance. I, I think that it, it's a challenge for the defense for a for a better you know uh, a, a more a deeper defensive line. It's a challenge to go face uh, Tennessee because they're good on the offensive line. I think that obviously you know I, I was going to say a better defensive line, but I, I can't say that right now because you're missing DJ Wanham and Javon Kenlaw. Uh, and Kobe Smith was an awfully solid interior player. Um, but there is talent there. I mean, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, if it were me, I'd feel more positive if, if Pickens and Sandage were the starters and they had rocked and rolled. But um, I think that uh, them being backups and, and and playing 50% of the snaps with Keir, Thomas, and Jabari Ellis getting the start, I think that's fine. I mean, I think – You know, Ellis has been a player they've really liked who came on at the end of last year. And then Kier Thomas, you know, he's a warrior. He's not going to, you know, he's not that big, but he's not going to back down. It does concern me because Tennessee does have good size up front. Um, And I I think that when you look at that, you know, the other side of the Gamecock D line, if you've got Thomas lined up next to to Sterling, um, you know, they're giving up over 100 pounds so now those guys find a way i mean i'll be honest you know thomas and sterling you know you start running it at them you know they they may find a way but they also may get blown off the ball <laughs> and so i think at that point you see you go well you know here comes pickens and uh joe anderson over there or Tarka hemingway or whoever probably joe anderson or they slide thomas out the end and put a big guy in there, but that, that's, you know, that, that the D line, I think that there's a, you know, there's reason for optimism because you got Sterling back who's very productive in pass rushing Enigbare, I think could be a star. Um, you know, you got Brad Johnson on, at the same linebacker who's also going to play some buck. You got Jordan Birch, you know, behind them. Uh, they've got, you know, Huntley. I think he's out this weekend. Uh, Scott, that they recruited, that are good. You know, Joe Anderson. I mentioned are right, sitting over there. talking Hemingway sitting over there. You know, a lot of good young talent. Um, but the concern, you know, for me uh, is, you know, that the, the fundamentally, and 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 th- they're missing these guys. Uh, but they're missing them. Had they come in and done what they were supposed to, and become the players they could have been. You know, you're missing Josh Belk, you're missing Jakeem Green, and you're missing Jaquez Soyls. You know, that's who at the beginning of last year you penciled in. That's a lot of beef. That's a lot of beef on the D-line. And and so now you're going with undersized guys again. And, you know, you got the the Sandage, uh, who for some reason people keep calling him a young guy. He's a junior. Um, And Pickens, who's the sophomore, who is a young guy but very talented. Um, so you got to hope hope for those guys you know and, and and hope that you know the Vols aren't just gashed them I'm gonna tell you this right now Eric Gray is a talented running back South Carolina recruited him uh, in state kid was a difference maker down the stretch for them last year he's explosive he gets loose you know and then he's running the ball like 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 Travis Stevens back in the day I mean you're, you're going to be in trouble you know, so defensively, that's a concern. I think Makwamu has a lot to prove down to down. Uh, I do think Carolina's secondary, that's an advantage in the passing game. Because, uh, you know, South Carolina is sitting there wondering who their receivers are going to be. And um, Tennessee's kind of doing the same outside of Palmer. So, you know, same with Carolina outside of Shy Smith. So I, I think that's a concern. But if, if I wanted to pinpoint one thing that, uh, with my if i had a red magic marker i'd circle the interior of the d line um and maybe you know look south carolina in the past has had undersized d lines that have performed really well um programs all over the country have had undersized because if you got athleticism quickness strength you know sometimes that works to your advantage um and so you know the, it's not the end of the day you know this is not like you know um, something where you just wave the white flag and say, i are going to blow them off the ball. But, you know, like I, like I pointed out, uh, you know, you, you line Sterling up next to Thomas and, you know, against those big guys from Tennessee, you're giving up over 100 pounds combined. Um, and so hopefully, you know, the quickness and the strength and all that pays off. So we'll kind of see – what happens there? I got one mailbag question and I gotta roll. I'm doing Teddy Hefner this morning. Um, gonna leave you with a final thoughts podcast. I gotta from traveling tomorrow, so I gotta be at the airport like super duper early. Um, and so tonight I'm gonna record tomorrow's podcast. Uh, and then I'll be probably back with you on Monday uh with all my thoughts uh from the game and the weekend and all that good stuff. I I sincerely hope you enjoy this weekend of SEC football. No matter what happens with the Gamecocks, uh, thank goodness, you know, people are playing, Guess <laughs> playing ball. Um, Noah emails in. He asks about the ceiling and floor for the Gamecock receiving core this season. Uh, he says, J.C., keep up the great work. I heard about, I've i heard about Rico Powers but don't know much about him. What's his skill set and how good do you think he'll be? Um, he, he reminds me of Shaq Rowland coming out of high school. Uh, of course, Shaq was one of the top players in the country. Um, in terms of receivers uh, and, and talent, I don't think was ever Shaq's issue. I think, you know, there were some some things that he could have probably done better off the field and, and during the transition. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you, you look at it, though, he made a lot of big plays for Carolina, you know, especially 2013, 2014. Um, I, uh, he reminds me skill set wise of him, maybe a little bit better uh from scrimmage. I, I know that Keith on lot of the Gamecast podcast thinks Pharaoh Cooper. Um I tend to lean more toward uh Shaq, but um, you know, I can I can see kind of what he's seeing with the Pharaoh Cooper thing as far as being elusive and explosive. They they think he could take the top off of defense. Um he's just young. And uh, you know, he may be one of those guys that during camp as a freshman, sometimes they hit a wall. Then you start playing games, and, and you kind of see the guy you saw at the beginning of camp. Uh, I have not heard that, uh, but I'm trying to kind of speculate as to why, you know, people think this receiving core is going to be as bad as, as people are saying, like what they told Tony. Um, but I think Rico's got a, a bright future. And, uh, you know, maybe not a guy that's going to go out and run 4-3-4 four, four when you time timing, but fast enough, you know, just like Pharaoh Cooper was. Uh, and Shaq Rowland was they were those were both four or five guys, but they could get it done. And you're not gonna catch them in the open field. So, you know, Rico Powers could end up being the, the savior of the receiving core this year. <laughs> uh to be honest, especially if you know let's say Xavier Leggett, the carrying joiner don't don't do much and, and you end up having to start Powers and Luke Doty the whole year. And then that's fine. You know, that's fine. That's happened. You know, schools have ended up being in positions where they've had to start multiple freshmen at receiving. Um, And that's fine. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I I, uh, I am uh, still more optimistic than I was about the receiving core. But, you know, it's just kind of a, an interesting thing that, you know, here we are two days before kickoff. And, you know, not, not what Tony reported, but the fan base, just the visceral reaction – to Hill being the starter and then discussion about receivers and, you know, it's just, it's tough. It's the most negative I've ever heard a fan base uh, in my career going into an opener. And and honestly, I'm not saying you got to be Pollyanna. I mean, it's none of my business how you feel. (laughs) Uh, You have a right to feel like you, like you need to. I mean, it, number one, it's been a crappy year, 2020. Number two, it's been a crappy five, six years of Gamecock men's athletics. Um, and that sucks because that came on the heels of, of the glory years, you know. Um, and I've said it many times, you know, you, you know, with the exception of the final four in 2017, and you know, the win over Georgia in football last year, and you know, the, the run I think is also in 2017. Kingston's second team went to, um, went to, or was it his first team? First team went to, um, the, uh, super regionals uh and then the bottom dropped out of that too (laughs) uh you know men's basketball goes to the final four but uh that program is not to the point where they can sustain that Uh, so they got to go back and regroup and rebuild again hopefully this is a better year um but uh it's been rough you know clemson's been winning national championships in football you know i i don't if I'd have gone back and polled all of you in, in 2013 and asked you, well, can Clemson win two national championships and play for four? In the later part of this decade, you'd have laughed me silly. Um, and so things can change quickly for the good and the better, but I, I understand the kind of, you know, the kind of um, disappointment. and And it is disappointing to me too because – you know, I, I, and, and one of the reasons I'm hopeful Muschamp turns it around because Muschamp does an awful lot right. Uh, I know people that – people don't want to hear that reality. Well, that's an awful lot right. Um, but the bottom line and, and the people that don't want to hear that are, are bottom line people, win or go home. I agree with that too. I agree that it's about winning. Even during a pandemic, Uh, Josh Pate said it the other day. He's like, you know, when he was previewing this game, nobody's going to care about your COVID issues. It's the SEC. It's SEC football. Um, And so hopefully there'll be a surprisingly, to some of you, good result on Saturday night. I I think there's a chance that could happen. Um, And I hope that happens because, uh, for everybody's sake, winning cures everything. Uh, beating one of the most important teams to beat on your schedule in a season opener cures a lot of ills, you know, and I hope I'm sitting here at this time next week and we're, you know, breaking down the Florida game uh, and talking about that and how Carolina can, if they can go steal that one. If They can steal the first two. Uh, the relevance that this program ha- is lacking right now could, could return. And uh, I will end it on that. Thank you so much. Uh, Again, mailbag questions inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Um, Follow us at the Big Spur Pod. Keep those awesome reviews on Apple for the podcast coming. I certainly appreciate it. And I apologize for Red and his hatred of the garbage man this morning. This is J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks Podcast. Holla at you tomorrow. Almost game day, folks. Have a good one.